0: everyone. I thought Jessica was going to make an announcement or something. <laughs> she was coming up here. It's like, oh, I'm in trouble. All right. Well, open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. As you know, we've been in uh, on the Ten Commandments for quite some time now. We're actually coming around third and hitting the last two. We're going to do Commandment 9 and Commandment 10. So we're going to look at verses 7. Let's see. 16 and 17. So hopefully the men could get through those two this weekend. <laughs> so I do want to say something. I think it, I don't think I'll cry. I'll try not to. I, I just want to thank everybody that's uh, supported, you know, my family for what happened with obviously my father passed away almost it's been almost 3 weeks now. Sorry. So I just wanted to say, I thought I could do it now, but I just want to say thank you for all your support and prayers. Everyone that came out to the hospital, sorry, maybe I'll wait another week. (laughs) Everybody that came to the funeral or the morrow, that was awesome. It was just overflowing with people. Thank you. And those of you that are praying for us and taking meals to my mom, that's that's awesome. Mom, you can send the leftovers. (laughs) So anyways, I just wanted to say thank you if I haven't said it yet. It was really, you guys really are awesome. So thank you for that. Okay, that's the public service announcement. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord God, uh, I just thank you for this church and for what you've made us. And it's all because of you, Lord. We owe all to you and we thank you for that. And not only for our church, but also for our individual lives, all that you've given us and done for us. You have truly overwhelmed us, Lord God, with your presence and with your love. And this morning, I pray the same for your word, that your word would overwhelm us. That it would overwhelm our hearts, that you would show us, Lord God, how to follow after you and to keep covenant with you, not so that we might enter into heaven or or get in your good graces, Lord, but because we love you. And out of thankfulness, we would just serve you, Lord God, all the more. And Lord, that we might be witnesses to this world that so desperately needs you. So we thank you for that, Lord God, and ask that you would teach us as we read your word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, Exodus 16 and 17. So the title of this morning's message is The Godly Neighbor. So what is the godly neighbor? I was thinking of some, uh, as I was just sitting there, I was like, oh man, it would have been cool to just have pictures of all these neighbors in like TV history. You know, when you think of neighbors, the first one that came to mind, I remember as a little kid, my mom used to watch Bewitched. Does anybody remember Bewitched? Is that okay to say at church, Bewitched? But the neighbor, do you guys remember her name across the street? Gladys, right. Was she, she was, a, I think, a godly neighbor. I don't remember. She was always looking in everybody's business and tell everybody what's going on. I remembered her. And then I, I was uh, thinking of the, the guy where you never saw his face. He just always looked over the fence. Wilson, yeah, another, another neighbor. He was always giving advice. I didn't watch that show too much. And then I thought of the probably the most famous one. And, and I don't know much about him because I don't watch The Simpsons. You don't have to shout his name. You won't get caught. But I think his name is Ned. Ned, I'm a, no one's going to say it. Like, I don't. We don't want to say Ned Flanders, who's actually, I think, a Christian or supposed to be or whatever. I don't know enough about him, but I know they make, they've, I've seen it enough times way back in the day that they made fun of him, you know, as a godly neighbor. And so we're not talking about that kind of neighbor. The Bible is going to tell us what exactly godliness is and what a neighbor is and who is our neighbor. Let's look at scripture this morning and see, find out how we, as individual believers and as a church in general, can be a godly neighbor. And I believe that we're called to do that. So let's start by looking at the text this morning. So again, we're in Exodus 20, verses 16 and 17. And their commandments 9 and 10. So let's look at those real short. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is one of the reasons why I came up with the title neighbor, because these two verses actually have the word neighbor in them. So you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So if you were thinking, well, my neighbor doesn't have an ox or donkey, I don't have to worry about that. It kind of covers at the end anything. That belongs to your neighbor. So what's going on here? Well, let's break this down here and begin by going back a little bit on who God is talking to. Remember, he says you in both verses, in both verses 16 and 17. He says you. And who is the you? Well, God is talking to his people. Obviously, the nation Israel. God is talking to his people who he has delivered from slavery. And from the house of oppression, right? So just as from context sake, for context sake, that's who he's speaking to. And God, by extension, is talking to all those who would be in covenant relationship with him. So I forgot. I think it was Jared. that came up here and prayed about God's covenant. So this covenant that God has inaugurated by taking his people out of slavery, out of the house of oppression And he's saying, this is how you relate to me. As Pastor John mentioned last week, the first four commandments are about our relationship and how we relate to God in this covenant. And then the last six are how we relate to one another or our neighbors. So the you that he's speaking to is the nation of Israel. But by extension, it's each and every one of us who who are in covenant with God. And so I don't want you to think that, well, these are Old Testament laws. They don't apply to me anymore. You'll see that they do. But I'm going to tell you up front. So he's talking to the nation. He was talking to the people of the covenant. And what does he tell them to do in both verses 16 and 17? It's not what they should do. It's what they shall not do. And let's look at the first one again in verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So again, God is laying out laws that would govern his people's life, their day-to-day life, and how they are to live within this covenant community or this covenant relationship with God and with one another. And the first thing that he tells them is don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, what does it mean to bear false witness? Well, it means to testify or to answer or to speak falsely, deceptively, or to deliberately lie about something or someone so we could say just don't lie is what it means but in the context that he's talking about it, initially means like in a court of law don't bear false witness against somebody don't be unjust towards somebody when you're lying about somebody you're being unjust you're speaking untruthfully you're testifying or answering or speaking falsely or deceptively and you're deliberately doing it we're not saying that you do it you know, you didn't mean to or you didn't know you were lying. We're talking about somebody who deliberately lies about something that they know not to be true. See, God's people are not to bear a false witness about their neighbor. Now we could go into the part. What does it mean to be a neighbor? Does that mean the person that lives next to you or within your community? Or is that who your neighbor is? You might be thinking of the time when Jesus was talking to the people about The parable of, you know, about who your neighbor is, the good Samaritan. Does everybody remember that parable of the good Samaritan? Where basically Jesus said your neighbor basically is anybody that you come in contact with. That's who your neighbor is. It's not somebody that you like. It's not the person that lives next to you or a few houses down. It's anybody that you come in contact with. And that's exactly what that word means in its uh, truest form. So we're not to tell lies or speak deceptively or falsely about somebody, about anybody, and not to deliberately do it. Let me give you a few examples where this is detailed in the law. So let's go three chapters to Exodus 23. If you remember in the very beginning of our study of the Ten Commandments, we said this is kind of like the the Constitution, comparable to the Constitution of the United States. It's just sayings, and then there's laws within each and every one of those that are more detailed. And as you read through the book of Exodus and uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there's going to be expansion on each and every one of these laws where they talk about particular details. This is kind of the overview. Don't lie. So in chapter 23 of Exodus, verses 1 through 3, Let's read that and see what we're talking about here. This is kind of an expansion on not to bear false witness. So it says this, you shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with the wicked man to be a malicious witness. So you can see that, hey, don't join somebody in telling lies about somebody else to be a malicious witness. You know that it's not true, yet you're joining somebody to do that. So this would also be covered under the ninth commandment. Let's read on. You shall not follow the masses in doing evil, nor shall you testify. So here again about bearing false witness in a dispute. So don't testify in a dispute as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. So lying, you're not just lying about somebody, but you're perverting justice. And as you know, our God is a just God, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 3, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. So don't be a malicious witness. Don't testify in a dispute to pervert justice. And don't be partial towards people. Just because that person is poor and you're siding with a rich person, you're going to tell a lie. You're going to bear false witness. Go down a couple verses to verse 6. And we'll continue giving detailed examples of this prohibition of the ninth commandment. Verse six says this. You should not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in any dispute. So you can see that here is an example of somebody needed you to speak the truth. It says your brother specifically, but you are perverting justice to your needy brother in his dispute. Or actually, that's the other way. So you're helping somebody out because you want them to get what they want. Your brother in this dispute. Verse 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent or the righteous, for I will not acquit the guilty. So you see, there's a, a, a judgment on bearing false witness. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in another verse. But they're saying keep far from it. Don't even partake of speaking unjustly and then one more verse verse 8 you shall not take a bribe for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of the just and you it's obvious if you're somebody's paying you to basically somebody's paying you to tell a lie and so you see that expansion of false reports and so god puts a prohibition on lying and bearing false witness and just being any taking any part of such a thing. A matter of fact, God has punishment for those who would partake in a false witness, or, or lying about somebody. So turn with me, and let's look at that real quick as an example. In Deuteronomy, look at chapter nineteen, verses eighteen and nineteen. Deuteronomy nineteen. Look at verse eighteen. So this is talking about judges. So this is talking about like in court uh, in ancient Israel. So after judges were established established in the cities of refuge, look at what it says in verse 18. The judges shall investigate thoroughly. And if the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, so somebody is in the court of law, so to speak, and they're bearing false witness about something. Look at what it says. Then you shall do to him just as he intended to do to his brother. Thus, you shall purge the evil from among you. So it helped. It it kind of made me think about, you know, being in contempt, you know, where you're bearing false witness or you're lying on the witness stand here saying, hey, whatever was going to happen to that person that you falsely accused is going to happen to you. That was the consequence of that. You see, God's people are. Not called, they're called not to be false witnesses, not to render justice or to not render justice. A matter of fact, God's people are called to pursue to pursue truth, justice and righteousness. Go back a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy and look at verse 16 or chapter 16. And let's look at verses 18 through 20. Deuteronomy 16 verses 18 through 20 Says this: You shall appoint for yourself judges and officers in all your towns, which the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. Again, this is the development of judges within the cities of refuge, because God is concerned with justice and righteousness. And look at uh, verse. Where are we at? Uh, verse nineteen. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead, but that's okay. Uh, Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen. now let's go to 19. You shall not distort justice, you shall not be partial, and you shall not take a bribe, for, poor, for bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue that you may live and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You see, God thought it was very important for his people to be just. He wants them to pursue justice and righteousness. And obviously, if you're pursuing justice, then you're pursuing truth. So God's people are to pursue truth, justice, and righteousness. And that's why he says don't bear false witness. But I think there's even a bigger reason why God calls his people to do this. And that's because God's people are called to represent who? god remember back in exodus 19 the first message that pastor john gave on uh, the ten commandments exodus nineteen five and 6 says this now then if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine so god has called this nation to be his nation in his covenant relationship and look what he tells him to do in verse 6 and you shall be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Then the priest represents God to the people. So, Israel, God's covenant people, are called to represent God to everybody else. All the nations, it says. Now, God wants him to represent himself in which way? In accordance to chapter uh, verse the ninth commandment. It's with truth and justice. In Deuteronomy, go back to Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy 32. This is the second giving of the law uh, before they go into the promised land. But I, but I go here because I want to show you who God says he is. He says this. This is Moses' song. He says, give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. It's at Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets of the fresh grass, and as the showers of the earth. So Moses is going to say something to the people. Because Moses, in a sense, is a priest for God. He's representing God to the people. And look at what he says. For I proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. And he's going to describe who God is. The rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are just a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. So that's who God is. God is perfect. He's just he's faithful. He's without injustice. He's righteous and upright. Therefore, God's people are to represent God in that way. That's a heavy weight put on God's people. He says, you're my people, I've saved you, now you're representing me to the world, and you better, this is my own word, represent me the way I am. Because when you misrepresent God, as you go through the Old Testament, when somebody did that, there was severe punishment for them. Because they're blaspheming God in a sense, because they're misrepresenting him to the people. And I think that's a bigger reason why we don't lie. Because we're children of God and we're representing God to other people. Therefore, we should be known as truthful and just people. And again, so two reasons there why we should follow the ninth commandment. There's many, but these two I think are big. Number one, again, uh, we are God's representatives to this world. The nation of Israel was and now the church is. Therefore, we should speak truth and seek justice and righteousness. And we're called to pursue after those things. So we should pursue those things. And when you don't, as I said, there's going to be ramifications for it. As a matter of fact, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Because here we're going to see the result of that God separating himself from the nation of Israel. One of those reasons, there were plenty of them, but one of them is because they did not pursue justice and righteousness and truth. They were perverting justice, just as God, as we just saw in a few chapters here, told the nation of Israel not to do. So Isaiah 59, look at verses 1 through 4. Probably some familiar verses as we read them. I've heard that before. But when you read in context, the rest of it, it's like, oh, that's interesting. So th- definitely you've heard these verses before. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor his ear so, so dull that it, con- that it cannot hear. So the prophets speaking to the nation of Israel, they might be wondering, well, why is, you know, we're praying, but God's not hearing us. Uh, we're in trouble, but God's not saving us. Why? Look at verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. For uh, Let's move on. Uh, between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So God's not, God's separated from the nation of Israel because of their sin. And it's not just like a one-time sin, but their continual sin. Their continual disobedience to God. In particular, look at verse 3. He's going to give you the reason. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity and your lips, look at this, have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously and no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. The nation in whole, according to God's eyes, is just, it's just gone away from God's law. They've turned their back on God so much so that when they sue each other, it's not even just that they're suing each other and they're speaking falsehoods. And if you continue to read on in all the prophets, they're just a corrupt nation. It makes me worry about the nation that we live in right now. A corrupt nation, a corrupt people. So that's just an example of what happens. Drop down to verse 14 and 15. He continues on justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the street and righteousness cannot enter. Yes, truth is lacking and he who turns aside from evil makes himself a prey. Now the Lord saw and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. So Israel is I like that description that truth has fallen in the fallen in the street. Stumbled in the street. Just a great picture of there's no truth. Everything is lies. There's no justice. There's no righteousness in the nation. so much so that God is going to separate himself from the nation of Israel in Isaiah. So I I hope that gives you an understanding of why God says not to speak falsely or bear false witness, again, to the nation of Israel. And the severity of not doing that. Let's look at the next one. Go back to our text, or you can just listen. In Exodus twenty, verse seventeen. So this is the second: you shall not with your neighbor or to your neighbor, you shall not covet, covet. I'm sorry, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So what's going on here? Well, coveting, let's begin with that. What does coveting mean? It means to desire, to long for, to lust after. It's even described as a sigh, like a sigh of one, like, oh. You know, when food gets passed through the table and somebody else ordered it, and you're like, oh, I wish I would have ordered that. And, or crave, to crave something. Again, it's, it's having that. So that's what coveting is. It's this desire to long for, to lust after, to sigh and crave. Now, let me say this, coveting in itself is not condoned here. It's what you're coveting and why you're coveting it. A lot of times in the Old Testament, the word desire is used instead of coveting. But in the Hebrew word, it's it's the same word. So having the the desire for something can be a good thing. For example, the psalmist in Psalm 19 says that God's word is more desirable than great gold or than gold. So, in essence, it's like God's Word is worth coveting, desiring that more than gold, and that's a good thing, or in psalm sixty eight the psalmist says that God covets a mountain for his dwelling place or desires a mountain for his dwelling place. so again, if you look at that verse in uh, exodus twenty seventeen, the coveting part is not necessarily the wrong thing; it's coveting somebody something that somebody else owns, your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife or female or bondservant or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So the sin is in the thing that you desire, not the desiring itself in this context. Like I said, it's what your neighbor has. So you're like, I want his car. Not you want something like his, you want his car. You want his wife. Or her husband. That's the wrong thing in the context here. So it's not that you want something like that, but you want what they have. Exactly what they have. So, again, the sin is in the thing that you desire. The sin can also be the reason that you're desiring that thing. Why are you coveting that? Why do you desire your neighbor's wife, so to speak? Are you not content with what God has given you, that you want somebody else's? Whatever, you know, fill in the blank. I think of King David, right? He had a wife. I think he had many wives at the time, but he desired Uriah's wife. And what did he do? He had Uriah sent to the front line of the battle to be murdered or to be killed. And he pulled the troops back, and Uriah died. He already had something, but he wanted it more. You know, and so we think I want us to think about that. Why are we desiring something else or somebody else's whatever it is? Are you not content with what God has given you? Um, I'd also ask, are you being impatient with God's timing or God's plan in your life? You know that you might take something of somebody else's. Well, God hasn't given that to me, so I'm going to take that person's. Or you don't want to put in the work to earn it yourself, so you're going to take somebody else's stuff. You know, in this instance, their donkey or their ox or their male servant or, or female servant. Like, I want that one, not another one. I want that one or you're not satisfied or you want to satisfy and I'll, and we can go to the book of James here while I say this James chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 cuz this is actually talks about the reason for your desire you want to satisfy your own sinful desires that's why you want it whatever the case may be uh look at James chapter 4 this is a good verse for this verses 1 through 3 it says this What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? So why is there fighting among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So you have these desires within your own body that are waging war. Is what he's talking about. Look at what he says in verse 2. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. We talked about King David just a minute ago. He didn't have something that he wanted, so... In order that he actually covered it up by committing having somebody murdered. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Go in and it says you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. And this is what I want to focus on. So that you may spend it on your own pleasures or on your pleasures. Right. So you want what somebody else has just for your own sinful pleasure pleasures so that's what he's talking about that's coveting your neighbors whatever it is you know you don't even have a good reason to want it you just want to satisfy or gratify your own sinful desires and coveting actually reveals the depravity of our hearts doesn't it it shows us who we really are I think of the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 17.9, he says this. uh, Jeremiah 17.9. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I like that. Not that my heart's sick, but that he points that out. That your heart is desperately, or is deceitful, and it's desperately sick. That is totally contrary to what our culture says today. Everybody has a good heart. Follow your heart. Do your heart's desire. Do what your heart is telling you, so to speak. Or how do you feel about it? What does your heart tell you? Jeremiah points out to us that our heart is desperately sick. You know, We don't allow our hearts to rule our lives. I would say you could, whatever you have in your heart, judge it by the word of God, judge it by a counsel of a bunch of other people, and then make the decision. Don't just go by what your heart desires, because our heart is desperately sick and evil. I was thinking there was a show back in the 90s called Seinfeld, some of you may remember, and I was thinking of this uh, episode, um, there was an episode, I don't remember the context of it, but... Um, uh, the neighbor was telling, the neighbor's name is Kramer, and he was telling George, you got to listen to the little man. The little man knows all in his, in his heart, like, like his conscience or something. And George says perfectly, my little man's an idiot. And I want us to think of that about our heart. Our hearts can be idiotic. So don't just go by your heart. Run that by somebody. Run that by somebody you trust. Hey, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And that will help you. So don't listen to the little man all the time. Because our little man's an idiot. You'll remember that. My wife seemed like, I can't believe you. We talked about Seinfeld. and But it gets the point across, right? So again, Jeremiah reveals, tells us that our heart is desperately sick. Jesus himself gives us thoughts on our heart. Let's look at what Jesus says about this. In Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, let's start at verse 18. Look at what Jesus says. He says, But things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. Again, we're talking about coveting, and coveting really, when we covet something wrong, it's, it reveals our heart. And that's what I want to show you here. It reveals the evilness within our own hearts. And this is what Jesus says. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. Those are the things that are in man. We're sinful men. And it is only because of Christ that we are withheld from doing these things. But Jesus is saying that's where it starts. It starts in the heart. So coveting your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's donkey or whatever your neighbor's is, it comes from something inside that's already there. It just reveals to us all that is inside. So again, sinful desires and coveting reveal the depravity of our own hearts. And the end result of living a a covetous life will bring death. That's what James says in James chapter 1. Turn there with me if you'd like, or just listen to me. James 1, verses 14 through 15 says this. He said, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The end result of living a covetous life. All your life is death because it is sin. And the result of sin is death, we're told in the book of Romans. And God's judgment. But Romans doesn't leave it there. It says, but praise be to God right, who gave us Christ Jesus, who atoned for those things, paid the price. So so those are the final two commands that are given here in Exodus 20 don't bear false witness, and don't covet your neighbor's wife, male servant, your house, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else. So, with that said, let's just go to a few points of application. How can we be godly neighbors? Well, number one, love our neighbors as ourselves. That's what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, 39, right? So, loving our neighbors means... We won't bear false witness against them and we won't take their stuff or want their stuff because that's my neighbor. Right? We're, to, we're called to put our neighbor's interest before our own, aren't we? In Romans 12, verse 10. Uh, let's look at that real quick here. I don't think I gave that to the media team. Romans 12. Oh, yeah, I did. Or he's just really good. Romans 12, verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So our neighbors were called to be devoted to them. That means anybody. Be devoted to them and give preference to them. I mean, Put them first. Put other people first. And if you're putting somebody else first, you're not going to bear false witness against them, are you? You're not going to treat them unjustly. You're not going to take their stuff or covet their stuff. Think about that. If you're loving your neighbor and you're putting them before yourself, you're not going to do those things. That's why Jesus could sum it up by love your neighbor as yourself. Because you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie from them. You're not going to covet their stuff. You're going to honor them. All six of those last commandments out of the ten. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, this also adds to this thought about putting our neighbors first. Let's read that. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. says this, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another, for all people. So not just within the church, but all people. And I was really convicted by that because I was thinking, yes, you know, as I was looking over this one, I was thinking yesterday I was coming up this on ramp and it's a single lane. But this one guy decided to make it two lanes and I might have made it down to one lane on him. And I was thinking, well, he's my neighbor. I should just move over and and let him go. Whatever he wants to go around. me, just let him go around me. Right. I mean, if. If it's really we're looking out for his best interest, my best, his best interest is not for me to brake check him or push him off the side of the road, right? It's to just let him go around If Maybe he's having a bad day. Maybe he's in a hurry. And maybe he's just, you know, not a nice guy, but whatever. Just let him go. Put our neighbor's interest before our own. So that means I'm going to be a good driver, Mindy, from now on. I'm not, it's not going to be about me on the way so i may be late to everywhere i go now put our neighbors interest before our own i don't repay evil for evil that's really just spoke to me for you know driving okay i'll admit that so how can we be godly neighbors love our neighbors as ourselves put our neighbors interest before our own and going back to what we covered earlier speak truthfully about our neighbors I mean, that just puts a, 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 holds a spin on it for me. If everybody's my neighbor, then I don't want to speak deceptively about them, falsely about them, make judgments about them that, are, that aren't true deliberately, it's, it's, or even on accident. I just don't want to do it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, says this. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, I think this is it. Oh, I was like, that's not it, but I'm in Galatians. Okay, Ephesians 4, 15, or 14 through 15. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speak, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is head, even Christ. This is for us as believers within the body of Christ. We are to speak truthfully in love to one another, right? So that we can all grow up, meaning mature in our faith. And that's why we speak truth. So we need to speak truthfully about our neighbors, right? For our own in love. So in love we do it. Don't forget that truth and love. Remember that, truth and love. You lovingly tell the truth. Don't do it in a mean way, right? And it's to help us all to grow up or mature in Christ. So we speak truthfully. Fourthly, so that we don't covet our neighbor's stuff, we're to be content with what God has given us. Think about that. Be content with what you have. It's when we start to lose our contentment that we want what everybody else has. We live in a society that loves to disturb our contentment, right? We could be content with the iPhone 6, but no, you need the 10 or whatever one is out there now. You can just put that in any anything. You would be content with this car, but you need this one. Marketing is all about messing up your contentment, showing you that you need something else. Uh, let's turn to the book of Hebrews for this. Okay, we've got to speed this up here. Hebrews uh, chapter 13. Look at verses 5 and 6 because I think this will show us, this speaks to us about contentment. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. So he says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, Nor will I ever forsake you so that we confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So being content. Is to remember that what we have right now or even what we don't have is because God wants it that way. That might not make you feel that comfortable, but God understands what he's doing. We're told that God is just and truthful Right. So everything that we have comes from God. And in that moment. We need to learn contentment because it comes from God and we need to understand that God will provide if we need something. That's what it says here. He says, be content with what you have. Why? For God has said himself, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So even in the midst of what's going on and we think we're discontent. God has said, no, I'm here. I know what's going on. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, even this. So, God will provide for our needs. God has given us exactly what we need all the time. There's never a time when God says, No, you don't need that, so I'm not going to give it to you. It's more like you want something. I should rephrase it. It's not that God says, hey, I want this, and God doesn't give it to you because you don't need it. No, God gives you exactly what you need. So if you don't have something, that's because God thinks you don't need it at that time. Right? So be content with what God has given you in your life. And lastly, and this is important to remember because we're not perfect. or We're not the most godly people. When we sin or feel those sinful desires of lying and coveting what someone else has, what should we do? So when that desire raises up or rises up in us, in our hearts or our minds, Hebrews again, or James. Go to James chapter 4 and we'll close with this. James 4, 7 through 10. It says this. Submit therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee draw near to God and he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your your hearts you double-minded be miserable and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you I think there's some things that we could take from this about that so when Those sinful desires. Maybe you're going to bear false witness. Maybe you're coveting something of your neighbors. I think there's some principles within this verse that we can practice to keep from doing that. Number one, continually submit yourself to God. Continually put yourself under God's word, under God's instruction. You have to continually do it over and over. Secondly, Resist the devil. Continually resist temptation. Every time you're tempted, resist it. And I like what it says, and flee. or Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I put this, run from that place. Even if the devil doesn't flee, you flee. If that temptation doesn't flee, you flee. Whatever, whatever, whatever it is that you're struggling with. Run away from it. Get away from it as much as you can. Don't put it in front of your eyes. Don't put it in front of your, your path. Don't go there. Run away from it. Continually. Fourthly, continually repent when you sin. Because guess what? You're going to bear false witness. And you probably will covet something of your neighbors. And that's what in verse 8 and 9 he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sitters. Purify, purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is talking about repentance. Drawing near to God and repenting of your sins. So when you fall, repent. And God will restore you and even deliver you from that temptation. That's what verse 10 is talking about. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord with repentance, and he will exalt you. He'll restore you. That's the promise that we have because guess what? We're all going to fall. We're all going to fail And these ten commandments. But that's why Jesus came. He died on the cross for us. Because we are going to fail. And we trust in him. And by him keeping the commandments. And his sacrifice. We are exalted in the sight of God. Let's pray. Lord God we thank you so much. For your great sacrifice. Your great redemption. And reconciliation. Through Jesus Christ. For each and every one of us. Who are part of your covenant. Who are your children. Help us Lord God to pursue after truth and righteousness. Help us Lord God to be good neighbors. And not coveting other things that our neighbors have. But to be content with what you've given us in this life. In every moment of our life. May we learn contentment. And may we trust Lord God that you know exactly what we need. When we need it. Help us to be patient and trust you. For you promise to never leave us or forsake us. And to be our help in, in this whenever we're in need. So help us to trust you for that, Lord God. We thank you for your glorious word. We thank you for your commandments. For they are not burdensome. But they show us how to live in covenant with you and with our neighbors. Help us to glorify you with our lives the rest of this week, Lord. And until you return. And we pray this in your name. Amen.